Hello and welcome to another episode of For What It's Worth. I'm Evan Lucas, InvestMart's Chief Market Strategist. Joining me in the hot seat this week is none other than Your Money's nightly host, Brooke Cordy. Hello, Brooke. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Evan. Look, yeah, look, I've been waiting for a long, long time to actually have you on here. It's really, really good for <laughs> someone like yourself to have you on at this point in the cycle, considering who you talk to, what you do with your, your stuff on, on your money, and particularly leading into what's going probably to happen in the next six to 12 months. Um, I know a lot of people you speak to are particularly affected by housing, particularly affected by savings. Um, so I don't think we can sort of go past with what's you know now upcoming and, and possibly happening next week here in Australia with the idea around rates, the idea around housing. We've also got a federal election that's all playing into. First questions, do you see rate cut cuts? How do you think it's going to affect the people that you speak to? Um, do you actually think it's a good thing as well? And does it actually, from your point of view, sort of create the the end example of what they want, which is some form of inflation? Yeah, so this is a big topic and, yes, we get to speak to lots of experts about uh, interest rates, Evan, as you know, in our line of work and uh, we are a news team that's kind of made our name from making interest rate decisions live on air and for two and a half years we've had nothing to say but we're approaching that moment that we feel that's all about to change and it could be, you know, a a really big announcement now um, from the Reserve Bank and even if they don't cut interest rates, um, during the election campaign, May 7, of course, they'll go as close to doing that as they possibly can, which possibly will be to say that we're about to do it, um, to mm-hmm. kind of prep the market for that. So uh, it's definitely a big moment. Uh, it's interesting in terms of what it means for the homeowner. I mean, our, our obsession with the property market is alive and well. It remains completely entrenched and we've had some HSB figures that gave us a laugh this week showing, you know, we're really up there still in world standards in terms of our obsession with property. And, you know, when we do, when we do stories... Uh, for your money and the stuff that goes in our digital site and does well, it's always the stuff in the property market. So it's just, just really that. something that people are sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, just on that, just something that obviously has happened in the last sort of 48 hours. Obviously, we're going through bank earnings season and I know somebody you follow quite heavily is, is Shane Elliott. Um, he yep. had some pretty interesting things to say around, yes, we can look at house you know, interest rates and what that means for housing. Mm. What he was alluding to was, the way that credit is evaluated from the banks down from yes. APRA, but all, et cetera. So for those of you out there listening, what, what we mean by that is that at the moment, banks have to actually basically apply a credit line, which means you need to be able to service a home loan or a loan of some description at 7.25%. Mm. So that is 13 times over what we currently are at. Now, what he was alluding to is that surely that probably needs to flex. Your view on that? Mm. Yeah, well, he was saying, I mean, that's common sense, right? If interest rates are at 5%, you, maybe you can look at them when they're, he didn't say this, but I mean, people are suggesting this for a while. If rates are a bit higher, 7.25% seems, you know, maybe that's right. But when rates yeah. are at 1.5% and you're judging loans and applicants on a 7.25% rate, it's just not relative to where the cycle is. And, they, you know, he said it, it's, you know, it's quite right of these things and, you know, this is what protects us all from getting into more debt than we need to be in or can afford. But really, it just maybe needs a rethink. And I think, you know, they've been talking about that for some time, but it's, it just feels like um, Shane Elliott's staging some kind of intervention of sorts. He spoke about, he's spoken about that. He's also talked about the, the jump up in mortgage stress that they're starting to see. Um, the fact that, you know, we, all, we talk all the time, Evan, about the wages environment, how stagnant mm-hmm. that is. And he's kind of even uh, jumped in now and said, well, we're actually seeing the, that wages issues show up in our numbers because people are starting to struggle with their mortgage and he even said we're just a 
deciding at the bank, is this a blip or a trend? So I think, you know, they don't like to be political, but I think in the middle of an election campaign, it's a pretty interesting, uh, yeah, I think we can call it intervention by that bank boss. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the interesting thing about it, getting back to the sort of the 7.25%, the argument I would point is that I don't see how it would be possible even in the next decade to see interest rates increasing <laughs> to a level that actually where they would hit yeah. 7.25%. So yeah. if you have a look right yeah. now, the standard interest what, mortgage rate is about 4 just for argument's sake. So, you know, the cash rate's 1.5. That differential's about 3 and a bit. So it's not exactly mm. huge. So you'd have to see serious tightening, serious yeah. tightening to, to get I mean, back there. It's, it's it's really holding up holding up credit. You know, we, I think it's the mortgage choice CEO was was saying, you know, back a couple of years ago that people were applying for loans. About twenty percent of those people now, she reckons, wouldn't get the loans they're applying for, and other yeah. people have been plugging in to these bank loan calculators. So, say you take a Sydney salary of, of eighty thousand dollars average, sixteen months ago, you could borrow twenty five percent more than you can now. So, I mean, it's really. It's really, I mean, it's pretty cold hard evidence that that the whole credit system is is really strained right now. For is that Banking Royal Commission or is that the bank's own decisions over pretty much the back half of last year to really clamp down on lending and obviously yeah. go hard at expenses? A bit of that. I, I do um, have sympathy with the argument for, for people saying, you know, think of yourself as a frontline bank staff. You know, banks can say, we want to lend and, you know, we might cut interest rates and all that. But if you're a frontline lender after that Banking Royal Commission and, you know, you're in the position of approving or not approving loans, well, you you know, it's an awkward situation to be in, particularly when politicians and others run around saying we want bank staff jailed for what they've done to people. So mm-hmm. I just think um, sentiment-wise for people on the front line, um, let alone for the people in the mortgage world looking at mortgages and loans, I mean, there's a whole sentiment issue there that's very fragile. And, you know, going back to the rate cut question at the start, I don't think the rate cut next week, yes, it might stabilise house prices at this point. I, I guess a lot of people are hoping that, but I don't think it fixes the problems in the system. Yeah, and I'd actually pick up that point in saying that, you know, there's there's data this week from CoreLogic suggesting that the slowdown's already well and truly underway. So uh, jump in on further interest rate cuts is, is interesting. Again, going to obviously what I do and I look at the inflation side of it and what the CPI data in Q1 said, it's this, you know, chicken egg scenario where the bank is trying to catch falling inflation or stagnant inflation, really. We haven't had you know, deflation, we've got disinflation, which is that we have inflation, but it's growing either negatively or not really at all. Um, and that, you know, trying to get to that sort of core level of 2 to 3%, it's an interesting mandate. It clearly, in the post-GFC world and possibly in the new world of monetary policy, maybe not the best thing for them to be looking at. And that's why I think you're going to hear more and more and more around what an Australian version of QE could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that is something, a debate for, for another time. Just before and we... We shouldn't we've... forget... Uh, oh, I was... <laughs> yeah, no, go on, jump on. Say, Let's not forget the savers. We talk so much about the mortgage holders, right? We yes. will not forget you savers out there. They've been, I mean, they've been smashed. I think last I was looking up, one-year returns for, you know, these term deposits, 2.1% to 2.3% with the big banks. I mean, mm-hmm. it's coming down as we speak. You take another 25 basis points off that. I mean, that's a big drop in rep- returns percentage wise so yep. i mean the savers are being smashed on all fronts so i mean that's Not that. you've got to ask the question therefore what what that to me is actually also part of this problem right so if you were to start as and i'm bang with you on that if you were to start seeing term deposits having a one percent handle to start off 
you as the investor in cash, whether you're a retiree or even as just somebody that's sort of trying to save with 30 grand or whatever it is, you are going to question yourself doing that. What exactly is the point of getting 1.75% per annum, not, you know, monthly or however long the term deposit is per annum? It just isn't viable for you to be looking Mm -hmm. at that. And that therefore means you've got to, you could actually create a slight credit issue anyway if all of a sudden all of these savers, which the banks need to actually lend to you as yep. a mortgage holder, business yep. loan, blah, blah, blah. funding. Mm. Correct. If all of a sudden they go, well, stuff it, I'm going elsewhere. This isn't actually working for me. I'm going to take my money out. Yes, I have a inverted commas safe product, but it's just not worth the effort that comes with it because realistically it's at inflation. So your money's just standing still and that – that isn't what we want to do. I'm going to leave that there. We'll be back with Brooke after this short message. Introducing InvestSmart's Ethical Share Fund, INES, an active ETF to be listed on the ASX, designed for investors seeking Australian-listed companies that produce sustainable profits. InvestSmart is proud to offer INES as it aligns with our pragmatic approach to value investing. It also provides an overlay that screens for sustainability, social and environmental impacts. The INES initial public offer is now open. To find out more about how INES works or download a PDS, please go to investsmart.com.au. So, Brooke, obviously before the break, we were having a bit of a chat around housing and what that means, around interest rates, et cetera. You alluded to something that I then want to pick up on next was what Shane Elliott's talking about, what the banks are seeing, which is the fact that the wage issue is now filtering through into possibly bad and doubtful debts, although their results didn't tell you that. But it does therefore come into the next thing that I want to discuss, and that is spending. And the way spending in Australia and globally is changing, the way we are using different products, uh, and I particularly want to talk around, you know, the, the fact that at the moment Australia's, you know, newest unicorns are payday lenders um, and and pay as you go. So you your afterpays, your zips. So I see zip this week actually entered into that unicorn status. Um, from your perspective, and again, talking to the people that you talk to with, you know, the people that watch your show in the evenings, do you see? Afterpay and these kind of players as a positive or negative thing, and is there actually a slight concern here that this is just a different form of leverage that you don't see as often? Mm, we talked recently um, on our show, and we have, a, yeah, as you said, we have a real consumer focus about how close all of this is um, tied up to the kind of the married at first sight era that we're in. Like, I didn't watch <laughs> it, so I'm not one of those people, but you know. <laughs> We were kind of saying it's all the glitz and glam, you've got all the stuff, you're talking the right talk, but under the surface you're living under a whole lot of pressure. And I do think that goes to Married at First Sight, uh, that whole social experiment, but also this this afterpay phenomenon that we got, or as you, as you said, buy now, pay later stuff. It's popular mm-hmm. with millennials under 30, you know, which is kind of roughly under 34s these days. And we're talking over 2.5 million people using afterpay in Australia. So... The, it's a behemoth. It's had this meteoric rise. And I do agree. I think, you know, we actually have spoken uh, this week with the CEO of Afterpay or the, the founder of Afterpay, Nick Molnar. And they, you know, the whole premise of starting Afterpay, the, the whole kind of brainchild of the idea was that 
millennials spend money differently. You know, he, for, for example, at 18 was when the GFC hit. His parents said, don't mm-hmm. spend money you don't have. So he kind of had this idea and looked around and was realising actually a lot of younger people are using debit cards more than credit cards now. So there's a whole kind of concept in there that they they just spend differently. And this is their whole premise where people, older people say, I don't like the look of this, young people getting into, you know, paying for things uh, down the line after they've got the product, you know, basically spending money they don't have in their pocket right now. I think they try to justify it saying millennials are younger and they just do things differently. I don't know if Uh, I buy that argument. Yeah, (laughs) and I I want to pick that up because, I mean, it may have started as that. The credit card thing is true, but I agree. It started as that and I don't don't believe that that. that's where it's at right now. It's not that now. I mean, you've got to remember that, yes, they use a direct debit system, but we are t- what he's alluding to there is that if you make one purchase that you need to basically do a lay-by idea in the new world, which is basically another way of explaining what you've just said with regards to how Afterpay viewed itself back in the day with those four day. direct mm-hmm. efforts. thing is, though, Afterpay will not slow you down if you want to buy 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 different products onside this principle. Now, if you've got a direct debit set system set up and you're a set and forget person, you will, you know, you can lose track of when you're doing this and therefore it goes from being a direct debit debit card scenario where you pay with a card that obviously takes direct money immediately out of your bank account. That's credit. You can't deny that that's credit. And this is and or, that, you is, know, I think that figures say something about 15% of people actually use their credit card to cover afterpay yeah. installments. I yeah. don't know if the fig- how up-to-date those figures are, but that sounds about right. And, yeah, you know, and, you and, would and, have read the annual report of afterpay. The late fee uh, earnings were up 360% in the past year or something. So yeah. that's a problem that's only getting bigger. Not a problem from a business perspective. They're earning money off that. But a problem from a consumer, purely consumer perspective, which is where I'm coming from. Yeah, and that gets back to this whole idea around spending is that spending is an interesting one. We are showing signs in the country that spending is spluttering. So an afterpay certainly helps that perspective. Yes, I get that. It does allow certain parts of the market to to come into it. But again, the, the catch that I have with the whole idea is that this is technically a form of credit. I don't think you can call it yeah. anything else but that. Um, yes, there are reasons why it doesn't fall under the same credit issues and therefore the credit checks that a you know a traditional payday lender would do or your zero interest credit cards that you normally sort of have been seen from your discretionary retailers that they offer you on TV almost every 20 seconds. Um, it's a different story, but in this and world you- with what you alluded to, yeah, go on. And yeah. You're saying in this world, that's the other thing, this doesn't happen in isolation. We, we were looking recently, I don't know if you've seen um, – Instagram has brought out this new uh, checkout feature. So, you know, generally when, you know, typically when you have been on Instagram, you know, often you'd be following a retailer, you like the jacket you just saw, you can click through to that retailer's website, you know, press purchase, you go through the the checkout cart thing, you know, blah, 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 it goes on and on and then you eventually buy it. But Instagram's now rolling out in the US and it'll come here, this feature where you basically see the picture, you click it, you say, I like the jacket, it says buy and within seconds you've bought it. And, like, Mm -hmm. I don't doubt that Afterpay is going to be on that type of thing. So this kind of instant gratification that's only reinforced by social media where i got to have it, I can have it, and I can do that now in three seconds flat. I mean, that's all. It just stops people from being sensible with their money. 
I, I think yep. it just it's too it's too much. I, it, all of this is happening at the same time, and they're all leveraging off each other. These businesses to make us buy stuff we wouldn't buy, or you know, make purchases bigger than we otherwise would have if we were standing in front of it in the shop. So yeah, it's Fantastic. it's happening alongside all these other things. Yeah. Fantastic segue. Thank you for that final because I think that brings us to the last bit because you used something there that I think is very, very clever, which is people's ability to use their money wisely. Um, and it brings mm-hmm. me probably the last part of what we've just discussed, which is investing. And and the reason I bring that up is that realistically, unfortunately, in our world, and you know, I do, you and I talk to each other on, on screen and off screen, et cetera, over the time is that the only time we ever really talk around investing is we hear around at retirement or talking about investment for savings for super and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I think that also is part of the current concern that most of us have with that space. I mean, the rise of ETFs has certainly helped our generations um, sort of, you know, get scale and get into the market and actually understand the idea of compound interest, understand the idea of compound growth. Um, The ability to do it is now much, much more easy. However, do you think, do you think that unfortunately with the way things are going, the way, you know, your wages, the way people do want to consume now that investing's left behind and how do you look at investing? How, you know, what are you doing yourself almost is probably the question. And do you think that Basically, your personal investment is something you don't think about because you either think about, well, I've got super and I don't touch super for 40 years, depending on how old you are, or I've got other things that I should be putting my money into right here and now rather than thinking about where my money will be in 10 years' time. Mm. Well, I, you know, I think we just were speaking ultimately about instant gratification and stuff like impulse buying. So it's certainly in this day and age and that there's a lot of blame being you know, pointed towards social media, but it is part of you know, this time that we're in, I think. I, yeah, you're right. I mean, we run a consumer, um, you know, very consumer-based programming and it's pretty hard to get people interested in super. I mean, you know, you, you do some of those segments with us. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it's too far down the track. I think one thing that always stands out to me is just how overcomplicated and generalised a lot of financial information is. And, I mean, super is the best example of that. You know, you get these tables out of which are the best um, superannuation funds, which are the worst ones. And there's a guy um, from Stockspot that runs these uh, these lists every six months or so. And he was saying to me he, he hires two forensic accountants for three months straight to pull together these, these tables just because, you know, your average party, you cannot put that information all together if you're just a a person like you or me it is too complicated it's made that way so no wonder we're not interested you feel like you're losing the game when when you start I mean it always comes back to me for fees and the more segments I do with you know investment experts always checking fees is one of the best ways to try and make sure even if you don't understand some of the stuff you know where your super is or how it's invested I mean checking fees is like the very first port of call with most of your finances because that eats, you know, sure. you just talked about combat interest earlier, of course. So, you know, that's obviously a big starting point. Um, yeah. So I think for me, and I'm just going to jump in there. Yeah. I'm going to jump in there on your apologies because I obviously need to put out there who I work for, being working for a company like Investmart. Fees is actually something that we are incredibly strong on, which is, you know, why we talk around it all the time because you're dead right. Fees are actually part of the reason why your returns over the longer term get eroded. Yeah, um, exactly. And again, it's why we bought out our cap fee system um, and it's, you know, our passive funds, the funds that I actually, you know, look at managing myself for our clients are all cap fees because as you alluded to with what Stockspot are saying and what most people will tell you is that fees are the biggest headwind to your return over the longer term um, because most 
managers end up actually only meeting the benchmark. So once you think you meet the benchmark and you've then got to pay their fees, and let's say their fees are 2%, you're 2% under the benchmark. So yeah. that is something that we have. So I do need to put that out because that's obviously a, a little bit of a disclosure statement. So I'll let you get back to what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> that goes for anything, whether you, you know, you're looking at um, – you know, we look across all stuff within with insurance. I mean, superannuation is, is the best one. That stock spot list that they put out. I mean, his conclusion is basically the top the top five is always the ones with the best fees. The bottom five is the worst fees. Like no matter how many mm-hmm. ways you run the numbers. So, I think the it's not like the jury's out on that, on that front. But you know, I, it's the type of thing. Once you you know, and you asked about my personal situation. I guess I am getting a bit older. I've got two kids the third on the way just upgraded the family house so I'm at that point of thinking okay there's some kind of future I need to provide for here finally I've I've kind of realized I only did my first will about three weeks ago which is embarrassing but you know you do finally get to that point where you realize you know the next generation is relying on what you're doing now with your money so you know I've, I've jumped into my super fund more recently and checked things like fees and insurance which was you know well over insured for what I needed etc which has been eating away at the at, at the um, balance and the return exactly for probably a um, few more years than I'd like to admit. But, you know, you do, you, I think you do come to arrive at that point where you realise you can't really put your head in the sand. But the other thing about money, and this comes up in most of our discussions, um, I just think it, it's such an emotional topic and people just struggle to digest stuff with money. You know, you make good decisions and you're happy, but then you make a bad decision and you just regret it and you're all down on yourself. And I think it's hard to be logical and sensible a lot of the time. Um, because I mean, money is really a, about emotions. A lot of the time, the decisions you make, you try to strip it out. That's what, and that's what you guys try to do. But for yep. hunters out there, for consumers, I think that's one of the hardest bits about money and investing generally. And I've I've been there, you know, two thousand and nine, eight GFC with shares. You know, it's money experiences can be really damaging, and I think people like to just put it off to the side sometimes and not think about it, which I think we all understand. Unfortunately, it's just a human condition. It is indeed, and I think that is probably one and probably the way I'll probably actually almost finish on you because I, I, I think that's what has changed is that the difference between, you know, then and now and, and the experience particularly, you know, I was around in the GFC back then as well um, and I remember watching from a personal point of view having my own investments and then obviously clients as well and having to go through that. The experience was perfectly summed up in the word emotional um, yeah. and, and that unfortunately has been – you know, what has taken a while and what we refer to as the wall of cash that is sitting out there that has never come back um, basically to the market since the GFC. And that unfortunately does mean that most people have missed out on the biggest bull market in history. Um, yep. And I understand that's that's the difference. But that's why, you know, investing is so, so core to some of this whole overall debate that we've had today, which is it's not just around your, your house or your interest rate. It's not just around your spending. It's your overall assets. It's your overall situation that you need to remember about. So with that, Brooke, thank you so much for joining the program. Thank you so much for having me, Evan. That's all for this week. If you're interested in finding out more about InvestSmart, where you'll find all of our previous episodes, as well as Alan Kohler's weekend briefing, thoughts from Australia's best financial commentators, as well as our brand new ethical share fund, Innes, head to investsmart.com.au. InvestSmart, let's make wealth happen.